0: Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the promise that your word as it comes will not return void, but it will do and accomplish that for which it was sent. And so we come this morning as people who need to hear from you. We need to be reminded again of who you are. We need our hearts uh, set so we can understand you. We need our eyes tuned so we can see you and hear you rightly, Father. The The weeks as they go by can fill our minds and our hearts with so many of the things, and so we pray that this time would be one of those times that we can remove the distractions, that we can clear away the clutter, and again, remember what it is you've called us to, and what life truly is. And so this morning, as we come to your word, would you speak to us individually and corporately? Would you enable us as your people to truly... um, truly take on your form, that we would truly be able to worship you with our lives, not just in this time period, but as we leave throughout the course of our week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 as we look at the parable of the sower. You'll find that this parable is also found in Mark, it's also found in Luke, and in pretty much a similar form anyway, I've chosen to look at this uh, in the book of Matthew for a couple of different reasons. Uh, We've been studying the parables in our Wednesday morning study, and uh, I've just personally enjoyed the study looking at these and the, these account, the way Jesus used, crafted in, in our understanding of parables. And this is a pretty important parable as it kind of sets the tone for all the others. It helps us understand how to read them, how to understand them. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 23 of Matthew chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea And great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up. And since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root... They withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he said, and he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear. Nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says... You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their in their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. In one case, a hundredfold; in another, sixty; and another, thirty. It's a familiar parable to us, perhaps. Um, Like I said before, it's a kind of a key to all of the parables. One of the things, as you read through this, you can't help but hear all the language about perception, the language about seeing and hearing, about understanding. Indeed, it's understand. It's as we read through this, we see it's possible to see and not see. It's possible to hear and not truly hear. Jesus ends the parable with this line, he who has ears, let him hear. We ask the question, what does he mean by that? We know what he means. That there's, it's possible that you hear in one level, but not hear on another. To see in one aspect, but not in another. And truly these, these words kind of form and come together, bunch together with an idea of complete understanding in order to see if we see and if we hear, indeed we truly understand. Maybe some of you have, have had that kind of experience of those those pictures that are an image within an image, right? On a wall, there's a picture on a wall and, and inside this image is another image. And maybe your friend comes and says, here, look at this. And you stand and you look at the image. And he said, there's an image inside this image. And you look and you stare and you don't see a thing. And he says, step back just a few feet or step forward just a few feet or hold your mouth just right. or, Or look this way or stand on your head or do something. And maybe at some point as you look, you begin to truly see. Oh, there is an image there. And in fact, as you see it almost every time after that fact, you can't help but see both image, The image within an image. But you might also look at that and stare for hours and never see the other image that's there. Or maybe you happen to be one of those men who have found yourself in a a restaurant and a date with your wife or a significant other and you are there and there happens to be a television in that place and there happens to be maybe a football game or a sporting event of some court of sort that you have an interest in and as hard as you're trying to listen to your wife you also can't help but wonder what's going on in the game and as she's talking to it, to you she gets the impression over the course of time that maybe you're not hearing her too well and she asks that fateful question Did you hear what I just said to you? And to which you answer, do I really have to answer that question? And you respond, in one respect, you could say, Well, I heard words coming out of your mouth. I knew that there were things being said, but as to exactly what you're saying, I'm not sure I could explain what you were saying. In one respect, there's hearing going on. But in another, there's no hearing. And so there's two kinds of realities here, two planes of seeing and two planes of hearing that Jesus is talking about as he refers to the kingdom of God. And these parables describe what's true about the condition of the heart of one who sees and hears and understands. What's true about the condition of this heart who can truly see and understand the kingdom of God. But what also, by contrast, is true of the condition of the heart that can't see. What's true of that heart that is unable to understand truly what the kingdom of God is about. Now Jesus used parables a lot. There's probably some 40 parables that are listed in the gospels that he used. And really they're just short narratives with two layers of meaning at least. There's a layer of meaning on the physical realm in which he would appeal to something that's familiar to his hearers, familiar to them of that day, and we can certainly understand what he's referring to. At the other level, he's referring to, he's using this layer, this reality, to give an impression, to speak to a higher reality, to another plane, if you will, the spiritual plane. He says, It's like this. The kingdom of heaven is like these things. And so he paints a picture and he gives us handles to understand this kingdom of which he is the king, of which he is bringing in. He says, this is what this kingdom is like. And he uses these parables in a way, in one way to illustrate what this is to his hearers. One person put it like this, that parables are imaginary gardens with real toads in them. So there's an imaginary level of this that they could refer to, but there's something real. There's real truth that's there. It's not just a story that's made up. It's a story that's made up that embodies and and embedded in it are things that are true that the listener must get their hands around and must understand. And it draws the the reader, it draws the listener in his day and age into the story, into the kingdom of God. It's not just for entertainment purposes. It's not just like we might use an illustration today. These are much more there to draw the hearer into the story of the kingdom of God. But to do more than that, it elicits a kind of response to the reality of the kingdom of God. You can't just walk away and not find yourself having come face to face with something that's true about the reality that speaks to something that's true about you. And so we find ourselves there and it elicits a kind of response from the hearer and the reader. And we also understand that parables, the way we understand that one of the interpretive keys or understanding is that the most important material is placed at the end. It's not that the other material isn't important, it is, but the most important material is always placed at the end of that parable. And this parable of the four soils of the sower is one that really provides a kind of key for us. It's one of the the first parables that Jesus gives. And in the Matthew account, we have about seven other parables that follow this immediately. And so there's this whole pattern of teaching that Jesus uh, initiates right here as he begins to teach in parables. The Mark version of the gospel tells us something about this parable. Jesus asks the question. When they come to him and ask him, tell us about this parable, he says to them... If you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any parable at all? And so it reminds us that this parable is a kind of a key. It's kind of, it's an interpretive key to understand all the parables. We need to understand this one. In this particular one, we find that Jesus gives the parable. And then with his disciples, he gives an explanation to the parable. He explains it fully. Not many parables does he do that with, but this one he does. It's so important that he and that we understand what he is referring to in these soils, that he gives a thorough explanation of what exactly he means by these soils and the sower. We also see from these passages that the parable its not meant just to illustrate a point. It's not just to entertain, but it's to state the truth of the kingdom of God. And it's to illustrate it in such a way, and this is the, some of the more difficult part of this particular one, because in between the parable and the explanation of the parable, we have this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. As he explains why it is he speaks in parables, as, as he explains that, There's something in the form of the parable that he has chosen, he is using, that does something at the same time, that it reveals the truth of the kingdom of God, and at the same time, it conceals the truth of the kingdom of God. That at the very same time, he's revealing something to those who understand, and he's concealing something to those who don't see and don't understand. So we have two things going on. There's a veiling, there's a kind of cloaking that's going on, so that some can see and some don't. Now, lest we become offended by that, it's important to know that those who can't see and those who don't understand don't care. Those who can't see and those who don't understand, what he is saying, they don't care. They don't care about knowing or understanding. Those who want to see, those who truly want to understand, we're told will come to understand. That there is hope that they can understand and know the kingdom of God. So, as we look at this this truth that is concealed and revealed in this parable. This is the form that Jesus took. So, some will see it and understand it. Some will hear it on one plane. But not understand it on the plane that Jesus is intending. They will not understand what the kingdom of God truly is. And they don't care whether they do or not. The setting is helpful. For us, we have Jesus. You know, we're sitting in a sanctuary here of sorts. A sanctinazium, as we like to call it. But Jesus is teaching where? He's teaching by the lakeside, by the Sea of Galilee. People gathered around. And so as he's talking about these familiar pictures to them, you could imagine that they're very familiar with sowing. They're very familiar with the very things that he's talking about. In fact, as he's speaking, they might be able to look around and find sowers. People doing the very thing that he's talking about as they sit there. And so they're familiar with the different things that would happen as seed is sown. They're familiar with the rocky soil. They're familiar with the path, the birds carrying them away. They're familiar as well with the thorns that would choke out the fruitfulness and the life of certain ones. And they're familiar as well with a kind of fruitfulness that comes in a certain, from certain seed as well as it grows. Also, it's, it's important to know as we, as we look at at this, this time in this era, this was helpful for me anyway, that their practices would, would precede plowing with sowing. So that sowing would come first... And then plowing would follow. So there would be a, a field. You can imagine that. They would go. The, the sower would sow the seed. He would walk on this path. He would sow the seed. And the seed would even fall on the path. And then the plowing would come, would follow, would plow the seed into the ground. Not in like our day and age where plowing and then and, and sowing would follow. And so what that helps us with is understand that as the sower casts the seed out, he is less interested in the soil on which it lands. He's not as interested about where it lands as much as he is interested in getting the seed out because the plow will come afterwards and they will sow the seed into the ground. Indeed, the very path that he is walking on will be plowed. And so the sower is all about sowing. He's not about distinguishing soil. He is about getting the seed out. He is about broadcasting it as broadly and widely and generously as he possibly can. And so the sower is interested in that. And so we see Jesus uses this setting to demonstrate for his hearers there. He demonstrates for us four different responses to the gospel, four different responses to the kingdom of God as He presents it to them. We have one sower, we have four seed, we have four soils, we have lots of seed, and the seed does produce something in the end. Now, as we read through this, there might be some tension because we see four soils and three of them produce something less than we would want. Three of them are bad. As Bill would say, there's four options and three of them are bad in this case. So there's three that are bad, but there's one that's very good. And again, they're not surprised by that. They're familiar with this kind of outcome. But Jesus presents the possibilities and he connects the nature of the soil with the condition of a heart that's able to receive the gospel, that's able to receive the message of this kingdom of God. What I want to do this morning is a couple things. I want to ask a question to start with as we look at the different responses to the seed. It's amazing that to the very same seed, we can have four different responses, four different outcomes to the exact same seed. One good and then some sort of gradation of of not so good. good. That's there. So, when I ask the question, why is that the case? And what is the condition of the heart that's able to receive this message? What's able to understand and to see and understand? So, when I ask that question, why are there differences and what's the condition of the heart that's able to receive? Secondly, there's a warning for us that's embedded in the passage. And finally, there's a kind of a commission or a push for those who have found this seed to grow in their hearts, in their souls. So first of all, let's look at the differences here in the responses to this seed as it, as it comes. I mentioned there's four different ones. You could generalize them into two, right? That Some that produce fruit, some that produce nothing at all. And so, But there's four different ones that Jesus gives us. And our question this morning isn't to try to label them as Christian or non-Christian. The question really becomes pointless in the end as we know that what Jesus is really concerned about is fruit. What he really wants to see is fruit in the life of his followers and those who would receive this message of the kingdom. And so we know that three of them don't have any fruit at all and one of them does. And so what is most important for us is is to recognize that the one of them does produce fruit and the other ones do not produce, produce any fruit at all. Let's look at the first seed, the first soil, rather. We see that it, it's the seed of the path as he describes it. And you can imagine it's a hard kind of path. And as the seed is cast out, it doesn't accidentally fall there. It, it, it's scattered everywhere. And immediately the birds come and, and devour the seed and take it away. And Jesus tells us, indeed, what, what's happening here. He says in verse 18 or verse 19 rather, that the the word is the word of the kingdom. Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it is like this one, the seed that falls on the path. And so there's a hardness of this heart. There's a hardness of the soil of this person's heart. It bounces off literally. And for some, as the message of the gospel comes, as the message of the kingdom comes, they're either apathetic to it or they're antagonistic to it. Either they've got something much more important to do or to listen to or to think about in their lives or they're antagonistic to it. The, the thought or the idea that somebody else would have rule over their lives is repulsive to them. The thought that they would turn over their lives to anyone else, that anyone else would be king over their lives repulses them. They don't want anything to do with that kind of message. So they're apathetic or they're antagonistic. So there's a hardness to that heart that cannot receive the message of the kingdom, that cannot receive the message that says there's a king who's come and a kingdom that he is bringing that's there. Secondly, we see this rocky soil that's, that's there. And unless we, we somehow picture that in this soil that there's big chunks of rock, what, what this is referring to is that underneath the soil there would be these shelves of stone, of rock. That would be underneath the soil, but it'd be just below the surface of the soil. And you can imagine what happened. And Jesus tells us, right? He says that it, it, it grows up quickly, but it can't produce. There's no root. It can't go down further because there's there's rock underneath that soil. So it grows up quickly, but it can't go deep. And so there's no root system. It cannot withstand itself. And so there's no deep roots that are there. So there's shallow soil above this rocky shelf that cannot produce any kind of stability or strength at all. In the, and as he explains this rocky soil in verse 20, he says, What was sown on rocky ground? This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. I hope the word that caught you there is immediately. Because immediately he receives it, immediately he falls away. Immediately he takes it without any consideration at all. Without any counting of the cost of this message of the kingdom, he takes it. And then immediately as difficulties come, because there is no root system, he immediately falls away. When persecution or tribulation come on account of the word, on account of being a part of this kingdom and living under this king and in his jurisdiction, immediately he falls away. What's interesting about this plant is that it's going to look like all the others. It's going to grow. It's going to be green. It's going to have some sort of foliage It's there. It'll look like all the others, but... It will have no fruit. Before it's able to bear any fruit at all, it will die. As the sun comes out, as the tribulation comes, as difficulty comes into the life of this one, then no fruit will be born. It will die. It will fall away. The language here of it falling away is attributed specifically to this soil, to this one. It's not an accidental falling away. It's a purposeful falling away. It's a it's a response to the reality of the tribulation and the persecution of having come into this kingdom, of having embraced this message at some level. And so it falls away. And it's interesting because it, it carries with it this idea of an offense. It seems that this one falls away because it's offended by the outcome of the response. He doesn't like the reality of the kingdom. He doesn't, re- he doesn't like what's come as a result of believing this message And so he's offended by it. He feels trapped or tricked by this message. He doesn't understand what the real message of the kingdom is. Whatever that might be, it probably has something to do with being very superficial, something to do with being happy or being healthy or being wealthy or being comfortable or something of that nature. This one thinks that the message of the kingdom is that as this king comes, that that is his message. But he finds at some point short or long, that that is not the full message of the gospel, that the kingdom indeed has and involves more than just those things. It involves a kind of life, but not an avoidance of, of discomfort or tribulation or difficulties. And so he regards adherence to Christ as something of a trap. And if believing the message comes with difficulty, he doesn't want anything to do with it. Indeed, we could say he hasn't understood the full message of the gospel and there's a falling away. He's offended by that message. The third soil we see here is the thorny soil. Um, If you can imagine this plant, it looks as genuine as any plant you're going to find. It's going to look like all the other plants that are producing fruit, this one is not still producing fruit. It looks like the real thing but as it grows up so do the thorns and thistles around it and describes the, the things that are in the soil around it as choking out the life of this one and Jesus tells us in verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out. And so we see that the these these elements that are a part of the soil choke out the word. He says it's the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches. Mark tells us the desire is well for other things. So you can lump into that category all these things that distract this one from the truth of the kingdom. This one, other things look more enticing. Other things look more interesting, more desirable, more life-giving. And they're lured away by these things, by the distraction of these things. Their thoughts and their interests and their desires cause their lives to revolve, not around the interests and the values of the kingdom, but their own interests, the offers of these things, the deceitfulness of wealth, the, the cares. These are not bad things, by the way. These are not immoral things. However, they're things that can distract us. They're good things that can distract us from the best things and the most important things that are there. And we see that this chokes out the word and proves it to be unfruitful. And so we see there's no maturity. There's no fruit. It doesn't grow. It doesn't produce anything. It proves to be unfruitful. So the first seed we see, there's a hardness that's represented there that can't even receive the gospel. The second one, there's a superficiality. That there's no depth. It's, there's no depth to it. It's superficial. It can't grasp the depth and the reality of the value of the kingdom of God. And so it wants only what it desires, can't take on the desires of the kingdom. The third one here, we see this distraction, this luring away from the things that have value. And So the, the distraction that's a part of the heart, a luring away from the things of value. And then we have the fourth soil, the good soil. You know, for some, as the gospel comes into their lives, as as they hear the message of this king, of one who is ruling, the one who's brought forgiveness, the one who brings a kind of redemption and restoration to our great God, the one who brings this message of a king who rules in power and brings grace to deal with our um, antagonism towards him and changes our hearts, that this truth holds fast and it bears fruit in their lives. Sometimes the fruit is visible, sometimes it's not visible. For some of us, we look at that and we say, of course, the message comes. We go, that's exactly what I need. That's exactly what I want. That's exactly the very thing that I need to hear and respond to. We're able to look and we're able to see. We're able to listen and understand. We don't get it all. We don't get it perfectly. But we know in the very core of our being that what is most important is this message of the kingdom of living under the gracious reign of Jesus Christ. The message of gospel of the gospel is spoken. It's sweet to us. It's a wonderful message of hope. And we find ourselves being drawn to the things of God. Not perfectly. We understand that sin is there and we see it in our best days. We're able to see through the lies of sin. On our worst days, we find ourselves in sin, but not wanting to stay there, desiring to move out of that and move towards and into the fellowship with this great King, our Father. And so we see these four different soils at work. And as we sit here, we know... I would hope we ask the question of the soil of our heart and which one are we and I trust that you have understood the need for this gospel that the hardness is maybe there but done away with and maybe the superficiality although we would be given to comfort in our own interest that we understand there's much, something much more important and even though it's easy to be lured away we are at times that what is most important is that the soil of our hearts is such that we can receive this message on an ongoing basis. But the question for us is why is it the case that there's different responses to the gospel? Why can some hear it and respond? Why is it that some hear this and recognize that as a need in their lives at some point and others don't? It certainly doesn't have anything to do with us, any intelligence that we have, something that we have in and of ourselves. We understand that the ultimate answer to this question comes not in the form of us in the soil as much as it is in God's gracious work in our lives to transform us and to ordain from eternity past that we would respond in this way that our hearts would respond and so we understand the the vast picture of scripture that there are different soils because God has said it that way but there's something more in this passage that's important but we can't understand that completely the passage leads us in a different path a different one, maybe a different layer, if you will. A different level of understanding. You see, there's a kind of responsibility that each person has before God. An obligation to respond before Him. And these different responses to God reveal the condition of their heart of which He holds Him responsible for. And of which as they demonstrate the nature of their heart, either the things of Jesus, the things of the kingdom will seem to be Wisdom, or they'll seem to be foolish to them. We see that the parables, as Jesus talks about them here, they're a gracious and merciful way to understand and communicate the kingdom. But at the same time, it's a message of judgment to some, and it's a message of hope to others. And so we ask the question, why is it that some hear and others don't? It has to do with the condition of the heart. And Jesus points them down this road You see, commitment and submission is necessary to truly understand what Jesus is talking about. We must want to. There's a submission that's necessary for us to understand what he is talking about. To truly grasp the kingdom of God. We must submit to the king. We must care about the things of the king. We must be committed to the things that he is committed to. And so those are prerequisites that are there. As Jesus describes for them why he speaks in parables in verse 13, he gives this Answer, And again, this is difficult at times, but at one level it's not. I'm going to hopefully kind of walk us through this. In verse 13, he says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart is grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears, with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. This, this passage is a reference directly to Isaiah chapter 6. Where Isaiah has this vision of the Lord and then he has a commission to be a prophet to Israel. And this is the commission or the judgment, a characteristic of the people that he is going to. People who have eyes but can't see, ears but can't hear. They have closed their eyes, they have dulled their minds, they don't understand. And so this is the judgment and the message that he takes to this people. That he brings to them. It's a prophecy. It's a kind of judgment upon them. And we see that it's a judgment because of this. Because of Israel's idolatry. Because of their worshiping of other gods. There's something that happens to them. There's a natural consequence for the idolater. There's a natural consequence or outcome of the idolatry. The one who worships anything but the true God. And that is... They take on the form of the thing they worship. That something happens to them that makes them unable to see or to hear, or to understand the things of God. If you'll turn with me to Psalm chapter 135. Psalm 135. Um, I read this in the call to worship, and there's a section right in, near the end of this psalm that, that, that tells us about idolatry. Tells us about the nature of idols, it ties into what Jesus is getting at here. In verse fifteen of Psalm 135. Psalmist writes, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak, they have eyes but do not see, they have ears but do not hear, nor is there any breath in their mouths. Basically what he says is this they can't see, they can't think, they can't hear, although they have eyes. And they have ears and they have mouths they can't speak. Indeed, they are dead, they are not alive. And then verse 18 is the, is the judgment upon those who worship them. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. So do all who trust in them. See, the outcome, the consequences of worshiping anything less than the true God is that we, they, took on the form of the very thing that they worship. And thus, their eyes couldn't see, their ears couldn't hear, and indeed they couldn't even speak. So the prophecy was fulfilled in Israel. The prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus' day that they couldn't see and they couldn't hear because of the things that they were worshiping. The same prophecy and judgment is fulfilled in this day as well, that we take on the very form of the things that we worship. If we worship the true God, we can find True sight, true hearing, true understanding, because he brings it. At the same time, we find fruit that grows out in abundance because of being in connection with this true God. Submitting and living under the gracious reign of Jesus our King can't but bring life and vitality to our lives. However, on the other side, why is it that there's hardness and superficiality and this distracted kind of hearts? The hardness, these come from worshiping and trusting in gods of the world. comes from trusting in anything but the true God. This is the result of the life of anyone who worships, who lives for, who goes after, who trusts in anything except God. We will live for those things and we become, if in one respect, less than human. And indeed, we can't even hear and understand what God is saying. So, why is it that there are these different soils. It's because there's different kinds of hearts that respond to the gospel. God calls us to be the soft, pliable heart, the submissive heart that receives the message of the kingdom, that bows quickly to the message of this king and to worship the one and true God. And as we do that, we will find true life. We will find eyes that truly see, ears that truly hear, minds and hearts that truly understand and welcome the message of this king. So that's the first question. The longest one is, the differences has to do with the nature of the heart. We know God has ordained it, but he calls us to be and to to live out of this heart. And he produces it in us as well. But there's a warning as we look at this, lest we place ourselves in the forest soil and say, well, I'm I'm the good soil, so I don't have to worry about the others. I don't have to worry about those. I'm I'm this good soil, so things are just going to naturally grow in, in our lives. And yes, that's true, and no, it's not true. It doesn't just happen by osmosis. God is at work in us, and the seed that is planted there is one that will continue to grow and produce fruit. But we need to be aware, because we are not completely immune from a similar, the a similar kind of effects that are seen in the other soils. The believer's life is secure. The good seed has been planted. It is a secure seed and it will always produce something that is good. It can't but help do that. And so there's a security of the believer, but we need to be careful. There's a caution for us as we look at the other soils because these hard attitudes, the same hard attitudes that prevent others from believing can be in a similar way, can affect or hinder our receptivity to the word of God. They prevent others from completely believing, but they can affect our receptivity to the truth of the kingdom of God. And this is what I mean by that. Think about the hardness of the hard soil that's there. Hardness there is a kind of unbelief. And for us as believers, there can be a hardness that creeps in over the course of time. There can be a kind of unbelief. There can be a kind of questioning of the goodness of God as, as we encounter difficulties or trials or in our lives. And so we can begin to question the goodness of God. We can to wonder. We can to hold back a little bit and go, don't really believe this to be true. And this is something that just creeps in over the course of time a kind of hardness, a kind of callousness over our hearts. It's the same kind of thing that the author of Hebrews addressed in Hebrews chapter 3. He writes this the author to the believers, he says, 3.12, 12, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Take care be aware of this creeping kind of hardness and callousness of unbelief it creeps in and can be this, is deceptive for us deceitful in our lives and so his call for the believers is to exhort one another as long as today so that this doesn't creep in to be a part of the fellowship of the believers being reminded of the goodness of God being reminded of who he is And as we are aware of this, we understand that this hardness can affect or hinder our receptivity to the word of God. It's important that we do stand in fellowship and we stand and remember the goodness of God. Secondly, there can be a kind of superficiality that we just live in, right? That we just live there. I'm in. What do I have to do? Does, Does this growth, does this fruit just come by osmosis, just come by accident? No, we want to grow our roots deep. We need to take advantage of the opportunity of the means of grace to grow deep in the word of God, to grow deep in fellowship, deep in understanding who he is, the message of the kingdom. Paul writes in Colossians, he calls him to walk in him rooted and built up and established in the faith. Psalm 1 is a psalm that the, 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 uh, the Wednesday night Blast kids are working through. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk, sit, or stand, but who meditates on the, on the law of the Lord. And it says that he'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit. The picture of those who put his roots down deep into the word of God. And so lest we become superficial or live at a superficial level, there's a call for us to... Ask God to grow our roots deep, lest we be offended or surprised or feel tricked by the difficulties that encounter our life. Indeed, we need to be able to receive the encouragement that Paul gave to those in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra in, in chapter fourteen of Acts. It's an interesting message for them that he brings after he establishes these churches. He comes back through them in verse four, in chapter fourteen, verse twenty-one. Verse 21, we see this message that he comes back through. Gives them, When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Do you see that message of encouragement? <laughs> yeah, through many, many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Do you see This is a mature understanding of the kingdom of God, not a superficial one. This is a mature understanding that there are difficulties. There's a cost that is to be counted for living in the kingdom. But there's an incredible value. And maturity in Christ calls us to count the costs, understand, to dig our our roots deep, and to grow them root by his grace so that we can be established in the midst of the difficulties of the dry years, in the midst of tribulation. So we find that both of these things, the hardness superficiality affects our receptivity to the word of God, but also the third one does too. Perhaps more so in our culture, that's just a speculation, maybe it's more based upon my own experience, but that there, the distraction of the cares of this world, the distraction of the deceitfulness of riches and wealth and material possessions provide this kind of this lure away from the things of God and it's easy to be led astray by good things away from the best things distract us and in the end choke the life out of us and indeed perhaps barely getting by very little fruit being taken from us because our energies and our thoughts and our interests are so focused on so many of the things apart from the kingdom of God. So all of these things, hardness, superficiality, and distraction, affect our receptivity to the word of God over the course of our lives. Difficulties come. We question the belief of God, the goodness of God. We don't want to grow deep. We, want, we don't want to put in the work and the good times to grow our roots deep. We want to have an easy life, and there's no promise of that in the scripture. So there's great encouragement we have that God is growing the good seed in us. We know there's differences and it has difference in responses and it has to do with the the state of the heart of the one that's receiving that. As well, we see there's a warning for us. There's a final word for us, I think. For those of us who have received this seed, who see the beauty of the gospel of grace, who live in the kingdom, there's a message and a call and a commission for us as well. I think what's interesting in this passage, and I mentioned that the most important material is placed at the end. And I think what have been what would have been surprising to the hearers of that day was not that three bad things happened to the seed. What would have been most surprising to the hearers of the day was that was the fold was the yield that came as a result of the seed being planted. As Jesus said, hundred sixty and thirty fold. That would have blown their minds. It was an unimaginably great yield for this seed. Thirty would have been incredible. Sixty unheard of. A hundred unimaginable that this seed would have produced. So the surprise is at the end of the parable. The surprise is, what? This kind of yield from this seed? How does this seed produce this incredible crop? How does it do it? It can't be the soil. The soil is just soil, though good soil it must be as a result of the greatness of the seed as well as the generosity of the sower. We see that the seed is powerful and it produces an incredible crop, although a varying crop, right? 160 and 30 in the lives of the believers. But it produces a crop none the less. And so we see that the sower sows this incredible seed of this incredible message at the same time There's a generosity in the sowing. He is indiscriminate in his sowing. He doesn't try to find, if you will, and only share the seed with the best soil. He broadcasts it to everyone indiscriminately. And for us, as it relates to us, for those of us who have received this seed, to see it growing in our lives, it's a reminder that the very seed that's been planted in us and grown, we are indeed to do the same, to broadcast the seed of the gospel, the message of the kingdom, the message of this great gospel to those indiscriminately around us. I know for us, at least for me, I, I, I too easily will try to guess at what good soil is and what not good soil is. I try to guess with my own eyes and look at a person and say, I bet you that person will be interested or that person might receive or that person might not. Or, and to make a decision based upon just what my eyes see, this parable calls us to sow indiscriminately, to sow not just with our eyes, but to sow and to get it out and to trust that the seed in and of its greatness and its power will grow and produce something great in this respect. And so we see that the seed will produce that. At the very end of Matthew, some of you are familiar with this, Matthew ends with this commission after, as, as Jesus dies is raised again he sends his people out with this explicit commission to take this message and be sowers of this same word to go make disciples of all nations and so for us as we sit here today we have a great hope because the sower the power of the seed the greatness of the seed within us we also know that the sower jesus in this case is the son of the lord of the harvest That he is the one in charge of all the harvest. And that the Holy Spirit comes and is the great cultivator in our lives. Causing us to grow and to produce fruit. And the gospel is powerful to do work in us over the course of our lives. As well as to do work in the lives of others. So we're greatly encouraged by this message of the sower. And I trust that as as we walk out this morning there will be a sense in which now this power the greatness of the seed will motivate us first to see it grow in our lives as well as to broadcast it to others. Let's pray.